0: Chapter 19 of the Brown Brethren. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Brown Brethren by Patrick McGill. The Psalm. There's a shell as as fell in the mud. A bloomin big shell in the mud. A bloomin big shell. And it might give us hell. As it would if it wasn't a dud. I was watching and saw where it goed, exactly the spot where it goed. In a sweat of a funk, I watched where it sunk, and I'm glad it didn't explode. From the dud. The trench was quite a good one for the Somme, about six feet deep, with here and there a few dugouts where men could sleep and eat. There, on a certain autumn morning, we find the men of the London Irish again waiting to cross No Man's Land and attack the Germans. A month has passed since they left Goray, and during that time they have seen much fighting, which they have earned a great renown. We're too well known, Bob often remarked bitterly, but beneath all his grumbling, it could be seen that he was more than a little proud of his regiment. We're too well known, that's what it is, he would continue. If there's anything to be done, who's to do it? Us, we're always in the thick of it. If the Eds ear that there's a stiff job to be done, and it wants an army corps to do it, what do the eds say they say put the london irish the footballers of lowe's on the job they'll soon do it on this morning bub was preparing breakfast in the dugout while bowdy benners was sleeping in a corner and flanagan was out on the parapet watching for tanks these monsters were going to cross presently but as yet they were not to be seen in front the self-sown crops were waving in the breeze and the barbed wire entanglements showed red and rusty over the meadows nothing of the german wires remained they had been blown to bits the german trenches could be seen in front dipping out of sight into a natural valley on the left and losing all outline amongst the tree stumps on the right the stumps were all that remained of the well-known high wood the locality was pitted with shell holes and littered with dead friend and foe who lay together in silent communion the germans still held the woods bub having prepared breakfast went to the door and called flanagan in then he turned round and kicked bowdy on the shins get at it he said you're not going to fight on an empty tummy are you flanagan came into the dugout that smells a one he remarked but the tanks he said i can't see them yet i hope they're not late i hope they're not bowdy replied and yawned the arrival of the tanks did not interest him apparently he reached out his hand for the mess tin of tea and drank "'We're giving them L with our guns,' said Bub. "'Blowing the place to hell. "'That's a good drop of tea, ain't it?' "'Indeed, it's damned good,' Flanagan said. "'I'm out for a V.C. this time. "'Anyhow. "'Where's Snogger? "'He's outside somewhere,' said Bowdy. "'He thinks that he'll not come through the scrap. "'He's quite nervy.' "'I wouldn't mind avin' a job at these ere tanks,' said Bub. "'Be damned good sport. "'Have another piece of bacon, Bowdy." "'Thank you,' Bowdy," replied, "'taking the half-rasher which Bub handed to him.' I'm damned but hungry. Here, did you see Captain Thorley this morning? He was giving cigarettes away. Turkish they were. Must have cost a penny apiece. Fat ones, like a cigar almost. He's a good bloke, old Thorley, said Bub. I wonder if the tanks are in sight yet, said Flanagan. They're going to make a clean sweep of all the high wood. What's the time now? Quarter to seven, Bowdy replied, looking at his wristwatch. It'll be all over at ten, one way or the other. The guards in the Northumberland Fusiliers are round one side of the wood and it's almost closed in. Having finished their breakfast, the men went outside into the trench. The shells could be heard bursting on the German lines and the enemy were replying. The machine guns were going pit pit and bullets were ripping the English sandbags. There, look! shouted Bowdy Bennis, pointing at the sky overhead. His two mates looked up to see an aeroplane making its way across to the enemy lines. It was followed by two, three, half a dozen flying low. There, the tank somebody shouted, and a line of faces peeped over the sandbags. One man in Benner's Bay got hit through the head and fell to the floor of the trench. The remainder drew back discreetly, kept their heads under cover. Sergeant Snogger appeared suddenly, smoking a cigarette and paring his nails with a clasp-knife. He leant back against the paratus and looked at the trio. Chiro, Sard, said Bubb. Fancy your chance. Not off, said Snogger. It'll be a walkover. Pass the word along for Sergeant Snogger, came the message up the trench. The sergeant closed his knife, put it in his pocket, and rushed round the traverse. I didn't see the tanks," said Bub. There are none, so far as I could see. I saw one, Bowdy said, over on the right. There were two, said Flanagan, crawling along as if they were picking up worms. Big, ugly-looking brutes they were. God, they'll make the Germans sit up. "'You have your helmet,' twisted round, Bub. Bub adjusted his helmet, lit a cigarette, pulled his rifle toward him, cleaned a speck of dirt from his bayonet, then put his rifle back to its original place. Bowdy and Flanagan followed the movement with intent eyes. From their look it might seem as if their very existence depended on the job which Bub had done. "'Yes, it's some strafing,' said Bowdy. "'The Germans are getting enough to go on with, anyway. Phew!' The three men crouched to avoid the fragments from a shell which burst on the parapet to the left. Somebody called out for stretcher-bearers, and the message sped along the trench. Be quite easy getting crossed here, said Bowdy. One whistle, and up you go, and the best of luck. Here, I haven't got a cigarette. Oh, yes, I have. Here they are. I put them in the wrong pocket. Have one, Flanagan? One, Bub? Bub took the cigarette, placed it behind his ear, and continued smoking the one which he had in his mouth i'll keep this in the smoke when we get across there he said it's about time to move now said bowdy and he raised his head cautiously and looked over there he said they're making headway no damn stopping them bravo the tanks good old tanks bravo said bub sticking his head over but he pulled it back quickly for a bullet ripped the sandbag beside him and a handful of clay and chalk was slapped into his face god that's a blooming poultice he muttered ducking down and wiping the grit from his eyes It hasn't knocked my head off, but it feels as if I'm not going to look over again till the whistle's blown. Bowdy Benner's placed a mirror on a bayonet and held it over the trench. Looking in it, he could see the fields in front, the barbed wire entanglements, the shell holes, the German trench in which the shells were falling, gouging out the occupants, and the tanks. Yes, he could see them crossing, mammoths, moving forward with irrevocable decision, serious-minded leviathans which knew their business and went about in a deliberate manner, bullets rattled on their hides, struck sparks out of their scaly armor, but had no effect on the air of detachment with which the great monsters in steel pursued their inexorable way. Nosing complacently forward, they crawled down into shell craters, hiccuped up again, straightened themselves out, and stealthily pursued their way toward the enemy trench. "'They're getting on,' said Bowdy. "'We'll soon be over, too.' He detached the mirror from its rest and placed it in his pocket. I never knew a better one for shaving. It's so handy. Sergeant Snogger came into the bay again, frantic with anger. I would like to know who sent that bloody message up, he thundered. God, I'll find out, and then somebody will be damned unlucky. He stopped, then gave an inarticulate cry and collapsed in a heap. Bub's jaw dropped, and he stared at Snogger with dilated eyes. The sergeant lay silent and motionless. Death was instantaneous, for a shrapnel bullet had smashed his spine. Bowdy and Flanagan lifted the dead man in their arms and placed him on the fire step. I never seen anybody knocked out so sudden, said Bub in a nervous voice. One minute speakin, and then don't think of it, said Flanagan. The tanks are well on now. What a funny thing, tanks. They're as old as the hills. Montaigne speaks about them. He calls them coaches. Listen. He fumbled in his haversack, brought out a dilapidated volume florio's translation of montaigne and read were my memory sufficiently informed of them i would not think my time lost here to set down the infinite variety which histories present to us of the use of coaches in the service of war divers according to the nations and different according to the ages to my seeming of great effect and necessity even lately in our father's time the hungarians did very availfully bring them into fashion and profitably set a work against the turks every one of them containing a targeteer and a musketeer with a certain number of arquebuses and calaveres ready charged and so ranged that they might make good use of them and all over covered with a pavisado after the manner of a gallio. They made the front of their battle with three thousand such coaches, and after the cannon had played, caused them to discharge and shoot of a volley of small shot upon their enemies, before they should know or feel what the rest of the forces could do, which was no small advancement, or if not this, they mainly drove these coaches amid the thickest of their enemy's squadrons, with purpose to break, disroute, and make way through them besides the benefit and help they might make of them in any suspicious or dangerous place to flank their troop marching from place to place, or in haste to encompass, to embarricade, to cover or fortify any lodgment or quarter. Captain Thorley appeared round the corner, his hand bandaged. Splinter of Shell had caught him a few minutes before. "'Getting ready, boys,' he asked. "'You'll have no difficulty in crossing here. Another two minutes.' "'Snogger dead? What a pity. He disappeared. I wish we did get across it, Bob. I'm fed up with this waiting. I want to get at him.' Then a whistle was blown. Another. The men scrambled up the parapet and tumbled out onto the levels. The bombardment seemed to increase. The German trenches were hidden by smoke, flying dirt, and logs. Their dugouts were going sky-high. Over it all, two aeroplanes glided gracefully through the air." The tanks were still going forward. A platoon on the right had started too soon, and the men were halfway across. Bowdy, Benners and Bub walked abreast. Chatting leisurely, Flanagan had disappeared. The air was alive with bullets. Men were falling all around, groaning and screaming. In front, the tanks had both stopped, one in a shell crater, the other in a sap. The artillery lengthened its range, and the shells were falling behind the first line and the high wood but the enemy machine-guns had not been silenced. The high wood was yet as venomous as a wasp nest. Forward, the men advanced at a steady pace. Their bayonets in air. One man had his entrenching tool fastened over his stomach as a bullet shield. Bowdy saw him get hit in the head. The machine-gun fire was deadly. Dozens fell and lay writhing. The tall youngster with a long neck came to a dead stop, dropped his bayonet to the ground, Put his hand inside the waist of his trousers and groped around as if trying to catch a flea i've copped a packet this time he said and lay down the flanks of the marching line converged on the centre despite the orders of the officers to the men keep your distance spread out a bit there etc but the men felt inclined to huddle together like frightened children the machine guns seemed to intensify their fire the bullets struck the earth in a steady and incessant stream on the left, a party of men advanced steadily. The shell dropped in the middle of them. Captain Thorley, who was leading his platoon, turned round. Under cover, he shouted. It's no good going ahead yet. It's murder. The men disappeared into adjacent shell holes. Others brought in the wounded. The machine gun swept the field with insistent vehemence. Bowdy and Bub joined themselves together in a deep crater. Couldn't have a more swagger shell hole than this said Spudhole. We're in luck's way. Flanagan got it, he continued. I saw him coppin right for the head. He didn't say nothing, just fell and stiffened. Placed his back against the sloping wall of the swagger shell hole and drawing a cigarette from his mouth with a graceful, swan-like motion of the arm he turned to Bowdy Benners. Blimey, I don't feel arf a swell here. Wouldn't mind sticking in this yer place for duration. Uh, what's that, Bowdy?" The German shell came out from the unknown, humming like a gigantic beetle. Nearer it came, and nearer. It's going to fall wide, said Bowdy, although he instinctively guessed that it would fall very near. It swept over the two men's heads with a vicious swish and dived into the opposite wall of the shell hole. Bowdy went red in the face. Bub's jaw dropped, his eyes protruded, as if they were going to spring out of his head. The shock paralyzed the two boys for a second. They were so unnerved that the feeling of fear was momentarily denied them they stared blankly at the shell which had only entered about a foot into the ground the base of the projectile was showing it might explode at any moment they were in a position similar to that of a patient to whose body a local anaesthetic is applied and who sees the surgeon at work but does not feel the knife thought was the first to recover his composure clear out of it spudhole!" yelled and both clambered across the rim of the crater into the open they lay out there for a few minutes and as the shell did not go off they went back again outside the machine-gun bullets were ripping up the ground the two men lay down quietly without speaking a word bub put the stump of his cigarette back in his mouth and relit it there see the aeroplane said bowdy they're flying damn low over the enemy trench hear their horns going signalling to the artillery i suppose suppose so said bub flattening out in the bottom of the shell crater and drawing a cigarette from behind his ear. He put it in his mouth and lit it. I knew it would be wanted, he said. Ten minutes passed. The tanks were still stuck and showed no sign of movement. The English artillery opened up on the high wood again. All guns within range had apparently chosen it for their objective now. The oft-lacerated tree stumps were broken like glass. They were dragged out by the roots and hurled broadcast. The woods were disgorging its entrails, The unfortunate wretches who held it were in a ghastly situation. To remain in their dugouts was death. Their manner of dying was left to their choice. They could come out into the hurricane and be blown to bits. They could stay in their lairs and be buried alive. They were confronted by two evils, one as bad as the other. The machine-guns were silent now. Probably they were all out of action. Bowdy put up his head and looked across toward the German lines. God, they're getting it, he said, and the tanks are still stuck. There, there are hundreds of the Germans coming across with their hands up. One batch is unlucky. A shell is dropped in the middle of them. Far as I can see, we'll have nothing to do when the strafing is over. Bar, go over and take the trenches, said Bub, who was looking at the nerve shaken Germans as they came rushing toward the craters. I hope we get relieved tonight after we've finished. Of course we'll get relieved, said Bowdy. We've been in four days now here, what the devil's wrong with you? A wide-eyed German, armed with a rifle and bayonet, came to the rim of the crater and lunged at Bub. The cockney, a as an eel, slipped out of reach, seized his own rifle, and fired at the man. The German fell forward, dead, the bullet had gone through his neck, and pierced the jugular vein. Funny bloke, that feller, said Bub. I think he had gone mad, said Bowdy, changing his position and getting clear of the prostrate form which had fallen into the crater. At this moment the artillery fire ceased ravaging the German front line. The range was lengthened, and the guns devoted their attention to the enemy support trenches. A whistle was blown. The men went forward, Captain Thorley leading. The bandage on his hand was very dirty now. The enemy trenches were very quiet. Not a rifle spoke. Parties of Germans came out with their hands in air, muttering, "'Comrade! Comrade!' they were taken prisoners. It's a damn tame ending, said Bub, after all that strafing. It's like a grand overture without a performance following, said Captain Thorley, who overheard Bub's remark. Yes, sir, Bub replied. Have you a match to spare, sir? I forgot mine. Left them in the last dugout, sir. Every move augmented the number of prisoners. They rose from the ground and from shell holes and gave themselves up now and again an apparently dead german was tickled with the point of a bayonet and he came to life with starting suddenness bub discovered a helmet put it on and put up his hands in imitation of the germans who were surrendering bowdy discovered a box of cigars somewhere and lit up then handed the box round have a smoke boys said captain thorley just to celebrate the taking of the Highwood. at that moment a shrapnel shell burst over the captain's head and he fell to the ground, mortally wounded. A bullet had hit him on the temple. A few men rushed in to his assistance, Bob eating, but nothing could be done. His brains were oozing out. Consciousness was lost. Death would come in a few moments. Stretcher-bearer appeared, then another, and they carried the captain away. He died before reaching the dressing station. The London Irish now set about consolidating their position and spent long hours of spade-work on the job. Next night the men were relieved. End of chapter 19